0: Alaram isn't overtly present at the Rasa dance because his Baba as the big brother would get in the way of what's happening. But I was wondering since he's in terms of taught the, the ground on which the Rasa dance is being performed, is he covertly present?
1: Right. That's why we say not directly. So... It's uh, it's understood in that way. He expands as the shoes of Krishna, as the umbrella, as as the bed, as the, the um ornaments, so forth and so on. So he's what is that? Woof and the woof from <laughs> When you knit something, then you get it from both sides. So he is. Uh, woven into the fabric of existence, or the fabric of existence. He is the fabric of existence. So, yeah, there's, there's no getting away from him. Something like that. Uh, he's, the, he's the gravity. Uh, yeah, so, indirectly present. Yes, John? In the preface, I can only paraphrase that you said that the uh, divine world, world Krishna, and also appear selfish and narrow, something like that. And I'm wondering how that reality can coexist with it being a perfect world. Well, I'm not exactly sure what you're referring to, but something does come to mind, and, and that is that, um, as I sometimes say, love uh, functions in two kind of uh, opposite ways, in, in that it seeks to share itself, and then sometimes it realizes. It can't, and it it needs to turn within. Um, So um, people in love, for example, have a language or use of words that only they understand, and common people cannot understand it. Um, uh, So the highest love, the divine love, it it, uh, shares itself, and particularly through the dispensation of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Hmm? But um, um, otherwise, it's, it's a rather rather closed uh, affair. Now, in the context of the affair itself of Krishna-lila, where um, the setting is a human-like setting, and um, um, and Krishna, during the harvest moon, as a young young adolescent in the middle of the forest begins to play his flute and tr- attract the uh, the gopis to join him hmm, right this is the the rasa lila and so they hear the the sound of the flute this is analogous to to diksha so in the context of the lila the that which takes place in the lives of the sadhakas, in sadhana, in practice, hmm? that which, um, I should say it another way, that which manifests in preme in love and perfection, also has a manifestation in, in practice. So we have initiation, hear the mantra in the ear, and so on and so forth. Uh, we have arctic, these can kind be of rituals and so forth. These things are played out in the lila in different ways also um so the diksha for example the gopis hear the flute sound of krishna the f- sound of krishna's flute was uh, is described as being the that which sound that that brahma heard with four of his eight ears i guess <laughs> and uh and and he, thus he was initiated it's uh it's also um um uh likened to the Gayatri mantra, which is the prototype of all mantras, all all the whole Vedas coming from the flute of Krishna. So it's a pretty special flute. Um, So, in the context of the Leela, then these gopis hear the sound of the flute, each hears kind of their own name, so to speak, touches their heart, and like an initiate should do, but often doesn't, uh, although there are one hundred and eight reasons for them not to go into the forest at night because it 's night and they 're supposed to be at home and and they're they 've got household duties and so on and so forth, nothing gets in their way, and they follow the sound of the flutes so the 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 the, the, uh, the, uh, the uh, what 's the term the it 's the sishya the, the, the initiate should, uh, in, in in the language of Poochapachita Marsh, not cut a return ticket. So, um, one-way one ticket, so to speak. I've come, here I am, this is what I've got with me, throw it in the fire of sacrifice and let it come out in a new way, that which was previously burdening me, let it be now come out transformed in a way to assist me to facilitate my uh, spiritual progress. So, they heard the sound they went right, something like that. It all sounds very good, and it is. But then again, given the setting, the human-like setting, and so forth, we're looking at the esoteric truths as they apply to sadhakas, practitioners, and so on and so forth. That's not thought of like that consciously in the leela. Uh, otherwise, the 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 full play of the leela, if you will, couldn't. Uh, uh, uh manifest. Hmm? So they're playing and they don't know they're playing, so to speak, they're they're absorbed in it, right. So so for all intents and purposes, in the Leela, these are young ladies at home, they have responsibilities and duties and so on and so forth, and especially in that culture to go in, uh, in the middle of the night uh, 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 and uh, uh, have a romantic rendezvous unmarried, on, on, on with a young man, is is um, a violation of the moral codes. Hmm? It puts the entire village in 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 uh, jeopardy because they'll say from a neighboring village, the girls in that village, watch out for them, <laughs> something like that. <clears throat> um, according to again, according to the moral code, the dharma, they shouldn't be doing that, uh, and so on. Um, uh, and so on its surface, then, it looks like it's selfish because they're doing things that they, that they, they shouldn't be doing. They're putting their, their, their village at risk, their own reputations at risk. Their, uh, when, we, when we don't follow the sacred texts, which are directives from above to help us, uh, uh, to give us an opportunity to exercise our will in such a way we can become morally good and more, and transcendent. Um, If we don't do that, instead we uh, engage in adharma, well, that's selfish. Hmm? Right? Uh, So it appears on the surface to be selfish. In this way it kind of camouflages itself. The story in the Bhagavatam, you could look at it and miss what it's about. So therefore it said, Nityam Bhagavatasevaya. You have to study the Bhagavatam very carefully and serve it and serve the person who personifies it to understand what's being said there, what's the underlying truth. Because after all, the Bhagavat, Shrimad Bhagavat, the setting is that the overriding narrative that goes through the whole book is that the Raj, the emperor, Pariksit, has been cursed to die. He has seven days to live. Um, so he goes to the bank of the Ganges and inquires what to do at the time of death and and how, what's the best way to conduct oneself in life, which will pretty much determine how what one does at the time of death, also what one thinks about. And on this, so many people come, so many dignified people, sages, rishis, um, thoughtful people, and, and so forth, and um, they're offering different answers, and then the boy, the sage, Sukadev, comes. He's naked, he's just a young lad, he's oblivious to external conditions, that's what his nakedness says, and they think, this guy must know. Mm-hmm. And so then he speaks the Bhagavatam, and when when it's all said and done, the central story, the zenith, the the climax of the Bhagavatam is this eloping of of the gopis with Krishna. What the heck does that have to do with how to lead the you know what's the best dharma you know and so on and so forth? So um, really, the story is about the ego effacement of they had other roles, if you will, that were important, calling on them like we all do in the world, but they heard the flute. They went, they left it all. Hmm? But on the surface, it looks like they were adharmic. Hmm? So, in one sense, this is the prime love, camouflaging itself. And if you want to get it, you have to look very close, look between the lines and see the underli- philosophy underlying it and so on and so forth. And basically, the king is saying or the sage is saying basically that in a very, very, I guess, spiritually basic sense, you have to die to the ego self hmm, to uh, make a solution to the problem of death. Death is a problem because we're attached to a sense of self that can't be um, maintained. hmm? And if you give up that sense of self, which you're going to have to give up anyway... hmm, we do it consciously, yogically, and so on and so forth, then this is the solution of the problem of death. And of course, more than that, hmm? Um, uh, why is it that we don't want to die and we're attached to our egoic sense? Because, in one sense, because there appears to be some prospect for love in it, fulfillment. Hmm? Um, uh, And so the Bhagavatam teaches you have to Kill the ego, and guess what? That doesn't stop there. In the context of bhakti, when you do that, there's a prospect for loving, and so, the, you, so both, both things happen. So you, you, you get rid of the material sense of self. You give it you 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 you, you de- deconstruct it, and by doing that in the context of bhakti, you construct a spiritual um, relationship, spiritual emotions in relation to the Godhead. So that's what comes to mind when you ask the question, does that help? Yeah. Yeah. Does it also play out, you know, uh, so Krishna and Radha are having their daily life and they're in the kitchen making food or something, does it play out even in contexts like that, you know, or is it mainly referring to the Rasa-lila? Yeah, it it plays out throughout, Um, yeah, there's many, many, so many leelas, different kinds of leelas, and they're layered, layered with meaning, and so forth, and uh, and so on. Often, yeah, yeah. Well, that's of course the nature of Shastra. That means uh, it's said that the, the Vedas they speak like the king, do this, do that. The Puranas they speak like a friend. Let me tell you a story, hmm? and a lesson through it. And then there's the the, the, the um, the kāvya is in romantic language, and the sort of romantic language is, as I said earlier, layered with meaning, and unless you're privy to the love affair, you, you don't understand what's being said there. So the, the, the Lila narratives, for example, the Goswamis are layered with uh, with meaning, it's Sanskrit poetry. Hmm? Bhagavatam itself is, is of course, a Rāsāstra, so but it speaks all three of those languages. It speaks like a king, it speaks like a friend, and it speaks like, like a lover. So in the texts where it speaks like a lover, what we also another name for this that uh, is is parokshavad. Parokshavad means indirect speech. In the Bhagavatam, in the towards the end, in the eleventh book, Krishna says this parokshavad, parokshavad is it's very dear to me. Hmm, I like it very much. Hmm? So. Um, Overt and uh, rich, layered. Uh, um. After all, you, one thing about the leela you have to understand: when the leela is being eternally performed, Radha and Krishna don't marry, so that they're eternally like not quite, you know, connected here, and they're always trying to rendezvous. The Rasa Leela and the Bhagavatam is just like one kind of exa- main example. It's like the outline of the book of the leela. Okay, or the table of contents, something like that. So there's all kinds of rasalilas, if you will, uh, and meetings and rendezvous in the daytime and the night and so forth. And, and some of Krishna's friends help and, and, uh, and assist, and, and they have to hide from the parents and so on and so forth. So some of Krishna's friends speak sign language uh, and, and convey, there's going to be a rendezvous, you know... Over here, like this, his friend Subal is particularly known for that. And uh, you can find very richness in the language of of, uh, of Munda conveying secret meanings that only Krishna can pick up on, hmm? with regard to his his romantic life and others others cannot, and so forth. So it's full of this. Um, uh, so that's very, very, um, very rich, if you will. Mm-hmm. What else? Yes. Um,
2: I have a question about offenses because it's a kind of a recurring subject. But uh, there are many stories in which uh, you know someone commits an offense and then wants to kind of um, fix it, uh, um, appealing to Krishna, and he then says, "And you know, you have to go to the person who you offended." Uh uh-huh. Um. And this is kind of model that is uh, easy to kind of follow in one lifetime. But it, uh, wh- well, what happens in extended lifetimes? I mean, like if you commit an offense and you have no chance to, to, for example, fix the situation, and then you say, I think you said in one uh, talk, then offenses wear themselves off.
1: They have a life, yeah. So so that's your answer so the, the, the reaction has its time you could you could uh, reduce the time by remedying it so, so if, if let's say you commit an offense to a Vaishnava to, to a devotee so you could commit offense to a superlative devotee and you could commit a physical offense to a, a superlative devotee or you could, could commit a verbal offense or a mental offense Or you could commit any three of those to an intermediate devotee or even to a novice. Hmm? It's possible. So let's say you commit a physical offense to a superlative devotee, then you've got the worst-case scenario. If you commit a mental offense to a novice, you've got the uh, least-case scenario in terms of any reaction. Um, And at any rate, these can be remedied. So a physical offense can be remedied, by rendering service to the person, mental offense, a verbal offense, could be remedied by verbally voicing, uh, you know, an apology. Let's say, and a mental offense, if your mind uh, is uh, offensive, it can be remedied by by the mind. Hmm. So there's a range, um, if you will, and different types of offenses. Uh, not only the Vaishnavas, there offenses in the deity worship. There's a certain way to do it. If you do it. You have to study it and know the, know the art of it, if you will, and uh, avoid those, those things uh, if you make such offense to the deity. And, uh, of course, the, way, the nature of bhakti is that she's very forgiving. Bhakti is different than karma, jnana, or yoga, in that karma, jnana, yoga... In karma, of course, the path is to acquire piously, hmm? acquisition within a pious life, and um and so there's an approach and appeal to god that's kind of like a merchant hardly like a lover i do this i get that make a deal let's make a deal and so um in that there's very little love and so as much as there is uh love there are no rules as much as there is rules there's no love so in that discipline, if you will, there's no real love for the deity. Hmm. I've given the example before of how when we were young, we went to Vrindavan for the first couple of years, and uh, we were, Prabhupada had a piece of property that was donated to him in the forest in Ramanreti, so we would go into the town to buy things uh, for the deity. Hmm or for the deity in the temple in New York or Los Angeles or something like that, wherever we were visiting from. And, and so the, the shops were um, getting some some funds in that particular marketplace that that um, other markets weren't getting, and they were growing in prosperity and so forth. And so, you know, next year they would have some of the merchants with a picture of Prabhupada in the shop. So you'd think, well, they like Prabhupada here, you know. So we'll buy at that shop. They like Prabhupada because they want you to buy at the shop. So that's kind of like the karma marg. There's not a lot of love there. It looks like it. Picture of Prabhupada, the garland around him. Oh, Prabhupada, Prabhupada, Jai. You know, guy puts on tea lock and everything, you know. Makes himself, shaves his head, looks like you, you know. That's how it must be, you know. So, so, in, so given that there's not much love there, if you will, then all, there's there's lots of rules in the karma marg, and they all have to be followed perfectly in order to get the desired result of any particular um, goal of, of acquisition that um, one has in mind. If you move from the karma marg to gyan and yoga, gyan and yoga, of course, are, are nivrti, not praverty. They're not in pursuit of acquisition, but of pursuit of renunciation, getting away from the suffering that... Um, that uh, accompanies material acquisition and attachment and the ignorance that attachment uh, constitutes. So, they approach the deity to get away from from things, to get freedom. Hmm? They want freedom um, because they're bound in karma. Karma is binding. They want freedom. Freedom to not have to do anything because in the karmic world you got to work. Hmm? So, uh, and their angas or limbs to the bodies of of, of yoga sadhana and the gyan marg and so forth, and uh, you have to follow all the all the limbs. Hmm? You have to follow them to get the desired result. In gyan and in 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 yoga, these are transcendental paths. As I said, paths of renunciation. So you have to far, follow all the angas of them, and you have to get grace of Bhagwan also in order to get mukti. Now you come to Bhakti, so the path of Bhakti is different than these three because it's not about material acquisition, neither is it about renunciation, it's about loving Krishna. Hmm? So one group loves quote-unquote Krishna to get things, one group loves Krishna to get away from things, and whereas the bhakta loves Krishna, period. Hmm? So his or her heart, so to speak, is in, in the right place. I've said before, if you love someone, then they tell you all their secrets. So, it's a powerful um, path, and as such, although, for example, Rupa Goswami has listed 64 angas, limbs of the angi or the body of of, of sadhana bhakti bhakti in practice. These are limbs that, uh, a, that that of practice that um, are. Uh, uh, thought to be consuming. So limbs that consume smell, taste, your sight, your sense of touch. Hmm? And and they, 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 they seek to uh, uh, consume or absorb the entire biological and psychological uh, aspects of the sadhaka deha, of the sp- practitioner's body. Hmm? So it's an art, right? And there's a method to it all. Uh, that said, hmm, Unlike these other paths, in which not only do you have to follow all the, the rules to get the result, but if you start the path and go this far with it, and then put it down, you've got to start again at the beginning. Hmm? Because the gains within karma, the gains within jnana and yoga, are all within the modes of nature, because karma is governed by rajaguna. And sattva, and jnana and yoga are governed by by sattva guna so the, these guna the sattva guna is illuminating but it's not transcendent in in itself uh, whereas bhakti is nirguna so any result in the nirguna it can't be destroyed hmm? because nirguna means it's it's transcendental to the modes of nature which is the, which govern the realm of, where things come and go and, and don't and don't endure no result endures hmm? the very ideal of bhakti, is eternal. Hmm? The bhavas of sakya, madhurya for example, they're eternally existing. Hmm? So all results in bhakti are permanent. Ne, Gita says, when the Gita first starts to speak about bhakti in the second chapter, neha bhikramanashvasti pratyavayanavidhute svalpa maphyasya dharmasya triate mahatobayat. Hmm? That even it says uh, even swalpam swalpam little even a little bit of effort in bhakti, which means you start it and you put it down, even, or if you start it and you don't complete it in another sense, or if you only do part of it, one anga but not other angas and so forth, still the result is eternal, because the because it's it's nirguna in nature. Hmm? And so that, that so it's, because it's nirguna, it has greater power, um, and, and, and the results will be enduring, unlike something under the influence of sattva, and and uh, and uh, and rajas. That's why Ra, uh, karma, gyan yoga needs some bhakti in them, and to, even to be efficacious within their own um, realm of, uh, of of influence. Hmm. What to speak of. Um, efficacious in terms of mukti. So, the power of bhakti means that the, the, the angas of bhakti and so some angas of bhakti are singular uh, 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 unto themselves and some angas are combined kind of a complex of things like archan for example involves a number of different things that are like sub-angas if you will. Hmm? Um, so, um as with regard to the primary angas, like hearing, chanting, for example, um, there are examples of those who have become perfect just by doing one of those angas, hmm. such as their power, and and neglecting other angas. Hmm. The typical idea is one uh, will we'll embrace the angas that are most suitable to one's own particular path, whether it be Vaidhi Bhakti or Rag Bhakti. Um, and um, and then there's also maybe an aptitude towards a certain anga that makes it more favorable for, for, for an individual, so be it. So one doesn't have to follow all the ungas. One doesn't have to complete, uh, could pick one up and put one down. And so it's a very powerful, uh, generous, efficacious path uh, comparatively. Somehow I got onto this talking about your question about offenses. Um, uh, uh, maintain, uh, maintain yours, hmm? it, does it doesn't diminish, yeah. And, and, and Now, if you go against bhakti, of course, that's an offense to bhakti, but um, I think I was talking about maybe like um, uh, in deity worship. If you make an offense in deity worship, then you can remedy that offense by kirtan, but if you make an offense, say in deity worship, or any offense to the name or something like that, Unknowingly, hmm, then there's there'd be, there'd be no reaction. Or if, out of physical exhaustion, one cannot complete ananga, hmm, there's no one one is not uh, uh, not there's no repercussion for that, as there would be. You can just imagine. I mean, the idea is these other paths. You have to follow the path perfectly to get the result. It makes perfect sense. This is very peculiar about bhakti. You don't have to follow it perfectly in one sense to get the result but then again you do and that perfection means that your heart is in the right place there. So Bhavagrahi Janardana Krishna's described it. He accepts the the, the 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 spirit of the offering even if the letter of the offering is wrong. There's a famous story in this regard that I've sometimes told um, um, from it must be from, from Mahabharata, uh, uh, Duryodhan invites Krishna to Hastinapura before the war to try to court him, to get him on his side. And he's the king, so he makes a whole royal procession to greet Krishna with instruments and Brahmins chanting the Vedas and a royal meal is cooked. Krishna appears on the scene and ignores the whole thing and goes to the house of Vidura, who was a sudra, and, um, and, and is not there, and his wife's there, and he says, I'm hungry. Can I have something to eat? And she says, well, they've got a royal feast waiting for you over there. He says, I don't go there. Because mm-hmm. he doesn't... The reason he's inviting me here is to be on his side against Arjuna, and he doesn't like my devotees, so I'm not interested in him. But I'm hungry, can you feed me? So she's like bewildered, like Krishna's in my house, and she didn't have any anything there. You know, she hadn't gone shopping, or gone to the garden, and so he said, well, there's some bananas hanging there. It looks like we have hanging here. She said, well, yeah, I mean, that's not like, that's food, I guess, but I mean, you know, you want, you want lunch, you know. So so, so she, she says, give me the banana." So she grabs the banana. She peels the banana in her ecstasy. She gives him the peel and throws away the banana. She's in such ecstasy. Krishna's in my house. I want to please him. Oh, my God. And so she's throwing away the banana and Krishna's eating the peels. So the word gets out. That Krishna went straight to Vidura's house, so they go there. Narada and uh, Vidura and uh, Vidura says, "Amazing that Krishna's come to my house like this." And and he's and and uh, and Vidura, Narada says, yeah, "What's really amazing is that he's eating the peels, you know." So um, she had the right spirit in mind, and the peels, eating the peels of bananas from her heart, if you will, was more pleasing to him than a royal feast cooked. By Vidura by excuse me by um, Duryodhan which is arising out of a out of a heart that harbored um, enmity towards his devotees hmm. so it's an example of how uh, um, the uh, the the essence of the path this is the same thing you find in the Gita Patram, pushpam, palam, toyam yome bhakti, prayatrti. Krishna says, offer me a fruit, a flower, water. He doesn't say, offer me fruits, flower, and water." fruit, flower, and water. He doesn't say, offer me fruits, flowers, and water. He says, a fruit, a flower, some water, hmm, with bhakti, and I will accept that offering made with bhakti. I will eat it, ashnami, I will eat the flowers although typically you don't eat them, Hmm? he says. So the implication is that the ingredients are minimal, material ingredients, because everybody has to have water to live. A leaf you can get, a flower you can get. Hmm? Um, So the, the, the ingredients, material necessity in the offering is very, very small, and the love is very, very big. So again, the more there is love the less there are the rules, the less the, the meeting material ingredients matter and, and so on and so forth. And the less there is love, then the more you have a, have a show of something else to get the Godhead's attention, if you will, for your petty whatever desire, whatever it, it may be. Now, that said, this of course is not an excuse for like, well, okay, you know, so we, we don't need to worry about following. If one's hard in the right place and they'll want to follow, they want to do it right, they'll want to learn how to do it properly execute accordingly and so on and so forth but it's a very forgiving path so your question is about offenses it's a very forgiving path um, but then if you offend the very giving path forgiving path it's not a good recipe so therefore material desires which may be impediments for bhakti um, these are considered like sins of the flesh and offenses to against bhakti are like offenses sins of the soul, so to speak. So they're more indelible. They, and, and they, they can uh, they have um, uh, more power to impede and, and the reaction from them will be more enduring. And that's why, because they are, if you will, sins of the, of the soul rather than of the flesh, they can carry, the reactions can carry into bhava bhakti. So from bhakti in practice, we're doing bhakti with our senses Mm-hmm. and when that sadhana or practice is perfected then the emotive aspect of bhakti is manifest that's called bhava bhakti mm-hmm. so in, in bhava bhakti one is experiencing emotions arising from the atma and the antakara which is now saturated with bhakti and mm-hmm. um, it's a, it's a liberated condition in which preem is cultivated, but still offenses can carry into that realm, and until they have expired, if you will, by time, hmm, then um, uh, uh, preem won't be forthcoming. Hmm? So, um, yeah, they have a life. You have a you have a you commit a crime you get a sentence you might be able to mitigate the sentence by you know saying something doing something paying something in advance but if you don't you go to jail and you spend the time and
2: to me it was like you know there's a kind of in, in, uh, in Sadaka's life we uh, kind of we have to learn to see that everything that happens is actually mercy right mm-hmm. um, but still you know because you know you know like beginning beginners and we talk about karma right and as you say like the sins of the flesh and but that's kind of easy to determine in some ways i mean we can kind of uh, you know reason rationalize things but it seems that you know offenses there's another way it's it's, a, it's another causation that which you kind of redeem in some way kind of you know um, counteract with it's like you offend someone for example uh, and then the person dies and then it means like you, you lost your chance practically speaking and it, you don't know when it's going to wear off yeah that's the kind of and then it's, you can only pray
1: yeah that's right but it wears off when it, it, it we, we, you'll find if there's some of some fence the blocking when its time is expired then You'll feel, feel some, some movement. You'll feel some move, movement. But yeah, I mean, you have and to understand. Pe- more
2: something, it's, like, it's more like mystical confirmation that you know mm-hmm. your offense is gone. Mm-hmm. And this is what sometimes there are stories of. But it's not like karma that's kind of tangible and you can say, "Oh, that's karma."
1: Yeah, well, karma's not that tangible either, cause yeah, t- more than that. It's very complex uh, and karmas. It's, it's not just you just do one thing and that thing brings a reaction. They, one karma, another karma. They, they form a composite in order to have the power to bring a result. So it's so not just one act. Then there's a corresponding. Like it's not exactly like that. So uh, so it's therefore the why something happens is very complex. And and it, and, it, and other people have wills too. That in your inner soul, someone should write something about it. The whole thing on karma—it's a very misunderstood um, concept. Yeah, that's an aspect of it that has no beginning. Um, but um, yes, this is our uh, faith. We we have faith that the name of Krishna is very sweet. We find Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was intoxicated by the name. So. And the, the reason that it will not be sweet is because, the example is given, if you have jaundice, the cure is sugarcane. But when you have jaundice and you taste sugarcane, it tastes bitter. So you, you, people say it's sweet, but I think it's bitter. Huh. But still, you keep if you keep taking it, it cures the jaundice, and then the sweetness that was always there comes out. So the bitterness um, is understood, if or apathy that one might have, is understood philosophically, and one applies oneself, nonetheless, and starts to get some result. Every now and then, get some result. This is sweet, and and that and uh, encourages them to to continue. and They and they understand that the reason that it's not sweet all the time is because I'm afflicted by the jaundice of ignorance and attachment, and um, most most likely some type of offenses or something from previous lives. and and so on. One has that kind of uh, faith based on the scriptural argument and explanation and perseveres in their in their sadhana. That help? Yeah. Yeah. Yes.
2: So much of the end of sacred practice you know uh, say how Mahabdavu during Radhayatta becomes fully Radha. How to understand it like
1: suddenly Bhagavan kind of disappears and becomes his Shakti? Well, basically, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is Krishna trying to experience himself from Radha's perspective and basically he becomes, excuse me, successful. Hmm. Um, it is rather, um, um, the, the impossibility of it and the of it, if you will, is really relative to Krishna Leela. How can Krishna become right? He can't. But in another Leela, in a new and exciting and different third way, so to speak, separate way entirely, he can. And basically what he does is, is he takes the position of a devotee. And so a devotee can uh, um, sadaka, hmm, can become a lover of Krishna, can become the love. Hmm. In other words, we become a unit of sakya bhava. We become a unit of madhurya bhava. Hmm. Our ideal is not to become Krishna, but to become love of Krishna. Do you understand? Hmm. So the stai bhava, the dominant emotion that defines the devotee, like I'm a friend of Krishna, I'm a lover of Krishna, I'm the parent of Krishna, this kind of, this Thayibhava, this, this that is, that the whole personhood of the of the sadhaka uh, develops out of that. So when we go from Sadhana Bhakti to Bhava Bhakti, then it, that's, that's the Premankur, the, like the, the sprout of Bhavankur, I should say, the sprout of Bhava. So it's the sprout of this stai bhava, of this identity, hmm? I'm the friend of Krishna, then in bhava bhakti that's cultivated and it gradually blossoms, bears uh, flowers and, and the fruit of prema and the whole identity. So you actually are becoming, if you will, that love. Even though you're a jiva shakti, tasta shakti, you don't become a super shakti, but you be, for all intents and purposes, you do become that love. So our ideal is not to become Krishna in some monastic dry sense, but to become love of Krishna. So Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is, is, is Krishna, but he's taking the role of a sadhaka because he sees they, they're successful. <laughs> they they do this, so I'll follow them. Hmm? So he becomes a sadhaka of the highest order, and then he, um, the sarup shakti that's inherent in him as Krishna uh, he experiences it in a different way, hmm? the way in which it comes out of him and, and, and is invested into the into the jiva and makes the jiva all the jiva could possibly be, something like that. So he, he, he's tricky, he's capable. But just, yeah, how can Krishna become Radha? Right, he can't, but he's very clever. So devotees can't become Radha, but they be, can, can, can taste Radha Bhava, Right the bhava of Radha which is basically what he wants of course he does it in such a big way that that he takes the full measure if you will of Radha's bhava and then there's no difference between that and Radha because she is mahabhava Surupani. that's what she is she is the be a very embodiment of this this mahabhava hmm. okay jai yes
0: um. In the sacred preface in your chapter about um, Advaita Acharya, you say that some commentators say that because Advaita was serving um, Sri Chaitanya and Dasya Bhav, that he also has an identity in Krishna Lila. Um, you mentioned that, but you don't give any detail.
1: Advaita? Uh-huh.
0: I was just wondering if you have thoughts about that.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But wait, in Krishna Lila,
0: right? If because he's serving Lord Chaitanya and Dasya If he has an identity in Krishna Lila,
1: like I thought, I noted that in the footnote. Maybe I didn't. But Kavi Karnapur identifies him in in in, in, in Gorg, his Gauravandeshi Dashtipika as a, a, a cowherd of Krishna in in Vrindavan. That's the answer to your question, right? Yeah. <laughs> I don't. I don't know if he gives a name of that. Um,
0: I, I. I guess my question is, is kind of how does that work? Since he's Vishnu Tapa, how how is he also a cowherd?
1: No, uh, he's. It's like, like how it's, it's similar to Brett's question: How has Krishna become Radha? So, ekla Krishna So, the the whole idea here is the that the vantage point of the devotee is more desirable than the vantage point of Krishna. So, the different avatars of Krishna, seeing the opportunity that gaur leela provides to. Um, which is what it's all about is Vishnu Tattva experiencing it itself from the position of the Bhakti Tattva. Mm-hmm. That's what the whole Lila is about. Mm-hmm. So they all join in on that and take advantage of that opportunity. So Mahavishnu as a dwaita is not going to miss out on that, so to speak. That's, that's the uniqueness of it. Mm-hmm. Yes? I,
2: I have heard in many many places that Mahaprabhu he took two things from each of the four sampradayas mm. and uh, this is how he formed his own sampradayas but I was thinking that it would not be like he studied the four sampradayas he thought this is good from this I take this then I form my own sampradaya I I think that it would be like Gauri ideology has two things similar with Ramana two things similar with Madhva. it
1: once we were sitting with uh, one of Prabhupada's godbrothers, Adi doctor known as Dr. Kapoor. Mm-hmm. So my godbrother, he said, it's said that um, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu took two things from each of the four Vaishnava Sampradayas, mm-hmm. um, like um, um, mm-hmm. deity worship from the Madhvas and and um, personhood of the Godhead, mm-hmm. uh, um Vaishnava Seva and uh, something from Ramanuja. These are emphasized in each of these. So he said he took two each, two from each of those. And Dr. Kapoor said no, they each took two. Each took two from from the, all of them that are in Mahaprabhu's. Mm-hmm. So he had a, it was a nice response. Hmm. So it's the, it's more full. So it can it contains two, four, six, eight each of those two. Does that help? Yeah. It's a better way to look at it. <laughs> each of two. All right, we'll stop there. Shishidaji Gopalke Jaya goat Jaya